0: Support comes from Pasadena Playhouse, presenting One of the Good Ones. Meet your new favorite family in this laugh-out-loud, heartfelt story from Gloria Calderon-Kellett, the co-creator and showrunner of Netflix's One Day at a Time. Tickets at PasadenaPlayhouse.org.
1: Hi everybody, I'm John Raby. Here's what America thought about the old intro to this podcast. That intro is too long. Dude, that's too long. Too Too long? long. It's muy largo. What the hell, John?
2: That intro's too long.
1: You gotta make a new intro. Okay, here's the new intro. For more than 10 years on KPCC, I did a show about all the great people, places, and ideas of Southern California. Now I'm bringing it back, one piece at a time. From LA Studios, welcome to Off Ramp. Much better. Hey everybody, John Raby back with you. Thanks for being with us on Off-Ramp. Thanks for supporting the show. And uh, make sure to leave a rating if you're listening in iTunes. Make sure to tell your friends about it. Uh, Thank you if you used to listen to Off-Ramp on the radio and are now happy it's back as a podcast, kind of more bite-sized pieces. And welcome to all of you who are hearing Off-Ramp for the first time. I'm really glad to be able to share this with all of you. Now this time we are marking the 30th anniversary of one of the darkest days in L.A. history. Which is on Friday, April 29, 1992, when the jury found four LAPD officers not guilty in the beating of Rodney King. There, were, there was rage and protests and violence. It broke out across Los Angeles and lasted for days. And five years ago on Off-Ramp, we marked the 25th anniversary with a full hour of interviews, archival footage, and a reckoning of the LAPD. And we wound up with an interview with the late Rodney King, which is coming up. Again, I have to remind you, though, that that was five years ago, and a lot has changed. And one of them is that, as a newsroom, and like a lot of other newsrooms around the country, we no longer say L.A. riots. Quote While riot is used historically, we cannot ignore the media's role in popularizing a term that's now often used as a dog whistle for race. Words like response, unrest, or uprising encourage our audiences to think deeper about the origins. So, that said, let's listen now to Part 2 of the episode of Off-Ramp that aired April 29th, 2017. Throughout the show, I'm checking in with Joe Dominic, who wrote two important books about the LAPD, To Protect and to Serve, which is a history of the LAPD from the 1930s until the riots, and then Blue, about the LAPD remaking itself. The first time we talked with Joe, we were over at Parker Center to talk about the LAPD's role in the riots, Now let's go over to the L.A. Times building and talk about the media's role. For years, L.A. Times Herald-Examiner treated the LAPD like it was gold. Who finally started looking into the the bad stuff that was actually happening?
3: In the late 70s, the Herald-Examiner decided that they couldn't beat the L.A. Times on every story, but they could beat them on a couple of stories. And they started to notice every single day a chokehold death the shooting of an umdom person every day it was like nothing new and it would appear in the times in a short paragraph so they decided they we're going to start playing it big and they played the shooting of eula love an old black woman shot to death over a 22 dollars gas bill she didn't pay this really kicked the LA Times into gear. And then throughout the 1980s, the LA Times started to cover the department critically, kept it on their front page. And that was very important in terms of arousing the consciousness of the public of exactly what was going on.
1: Captain Ron, thank you. Let's uh, switch now. You will hear the voice of Mayor Tom Bradley uh, addressing the congregation and the people gathered at the first AME church in South Central Los Angeles.
2: All of us shared it this afternoon when that jury came in with a verdict of not guilty on all four officers. I don't know where they were, in outer space, perhaps.
3: I was at at the first AME church um, watching Mayor Bradley, once the prince of the city, the black prince of the city, and I watched this man be booed off the stage because he was, along with the LAPD, responsible for the riot, not as, not anywhere near as much as the LAPD, but by his inaction and his acquiescence to so much that the LAPD did, he was he was also responsible. As he was speaking, I looked down at a at a CBS monitor and saw the guard shack outside of parker Center going up in flames. And I said to a colleague of mine, I was then working at the LA Weekly, Ruben Martinez, the poet. I said, Let's get downtown. We parked our car and we were walking by the new Otani Hotel. And there was a pickup truck with about six to eight young African Americans, all dressed in black with watchman's caps on their heads and baseball bats. They looked at us, we looked at them, and Ruben and I just took off and ran into the new Otani because we knew we were going to get our butts kicked if we stayed there.
2: My name is Jesse Hernandez. I'm from East L.A., Boyle Heights. We heard everybody was looting, so we all went out downtown and uh, took a drive to South Central and everything. We seen all, yeah, all the people, all the madness. And we see everybody going into stores, going into it's just the mayhem. You know, the fires are starting, cars being on fire, crazy stuff, you know. And so we just said, hey, you know what? People are going to stores? Well, let's just go in the stores ourselves. So we all went in there, you know, grabbed some stuff, dropped off the stuff, came back again, some liquor store. Everybody was jamming out, all kinds of stuff. So we stopped by and grabbed a bunch of beers and stuff. I remember beers. Beers was our main main thing at that time. High school, beers.
3: I'm James Smith. I was working for the City of L.A., Community Development Department. I was leaving the Nickerson Garden Housing Project in a city van. I went out to... 3rd Avenue in Jefferson and there was a um, pawn shop and I watched people going in the pawn shop bringing out television and diamonds and jewelry then the police were just standing there in the cars not doing anything and the spirit told me go get me a tv and go get me a diamond ring and I thought it would be my luck that if I did they'd start arresting people and I guess watched and ended up going back in the house and um, wondered why the police were not arresting people the most strangest thing I've ever seen in my life.
4: When the black and whites arrive I am lifeless on the floor Crumpled dollars in my hand In my hand, in my hand The lady in the fishing vest Has dropped the gun who wears a fishing vest when they're working at a liquor store? I float up to the corner, just above the ice cream and the frozen food. I perch beside the surveillance camera. after the trial You could feel the tension rise In the street and in the rhythm Of despair, of despair It was war after a while In each neighbor's tired eyes There was nothing to persuade them To stand down, to stand
1: This is Off Ramp. I'm John Raby. Looking back at the L.A. riots, which started 25 years ago this weekend, we're spending the whole show on the riots. Uh, There was death and destruction. There was despair. And there was also absurdity. Peter Sagal, welcome to Off Ramp. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. You have a riots memory to share with us. I do. The early 1990s found you working on a theater project in Los Angeles.
0: The riots, as I remember, began on a Wednesday night. I remember driving across uh, the LA Basin on Santa Monica Freeway and seeing this line of fires to the south, sort of marching northward. And the next day, they continued in daylight, which was scary, and I sat in my apartment in Los Feliz and, and, and watched on TV the fires and riots and getting closer until I was watching the looting of a Circuit City store that was three blocks from me.
1: What were you thinking at this point?
0: It was a really frightening time. You realize during that time that a lot of the assumptions you make about life without thinking about them, for example, that there won't be mobs of people running up the streets, looting the stores, that if that were to happen, the police would be available. All of those assumptions were no longer operative. So I I, I got on my bike. I didn't have a car at that time, which was another story, and I rode over to this photo studio where people were gathering. And I spent the rest of the day there. And it was scary, we heard police sirens, we were watching TV and watching the city burn, hearing gunshots. And finally, after many hours, there was silence. And we didn't know what was going on. The TV coverage wasn't showing us our own neighborhood at that time. And there was a guy, part of this group of people, his name was Tomas, Uh, he was Argentinian, he was somewhat headstrong. And he's like, I gotta go out and see what's going on. He just couldn't take it anymore. And I was like, I'm going with you, because I felt the same way. People were like, no, don't go outside. No, no, we're going to go, we're going to go. So we opened the door, and we walked south half a block to the corner of Wilton and Hollywood Boulevard. And we saw nothing. It was totally quiet. There was nobody in the street. It was Thursday night. There was no flames that we could see. There was no gunfire anymore. We're standing there, and we're looking around. And I remember I looked to my right, and I could look down Hollywood Boulevard toward downtown Hollywood and I could see lots of fire trucks and like lights down there, but they're miles away, so there was nothing close. And we were sort of like standing there going, well, this is a little disappointing, when all of a sudden, two cars, um, late model American cars, pulled up. And the doors flew open in that kind of Starsky and Hutch way, and police officers jumped out. And they weren't pointing their guns, but they were definitely like hands-on guns and ready to do something. And And the cop nearest me, the guy who had gotten out of the passenger side door of the front car, the guy who was right in front of me, said to me, what are you doing out here? And I looked at his name badge. You know, they have the badge and then the name underneath it in the way that you do, like you're at a high school reunion. And uh, it said Gates, which I registered. Oh, man. And then I looked at his face, and I recognized him. It was Daryl Gates. It was the police chief of the Los Angeles Police Department. There he is, thank now, God, arriving There he is, thank God, he's out here. To get to,
1: to us. <laughs> to take get care us. of these theater people in the yes, middle of I an mean, otherwise deserted street.
0: Right, Tomas was about 30, I was about 25, 27. We're both white guys, we're both balding. We are like the least threatening people in the world. Now, Tomas, like I said, is Argentinian. Tomas, as he told me later, is used to dealing with a police state. So his hands are up in the air. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm goggling, right. Realizing who this man is. Tomas is, his hands are up in the air and he's like, we're just, oh, we just came out here. We're trying to help. We don't mean anything. He's just, it's just like pure submission. You know, he has removed any evidence of threat from his physical demeanor. And you can see the police all relax and they go, okay, well, you guys, you guys shouldn't be out here. And then there's a moment and there I am. With Daryl Gates, face-to-face, the night of the riots, LA is falling apart, here's the man who caused it, what do you say? And I said, how's it going out there? And he said, not so bad down south, not so good up here. And I nodded, and then I guess I was thinking of Hill Street Blues at that moment, and I said, well, be careful out there, and they all nodded. (laughs) Thanks. And they got back in their cars and, and Tomas and I just immediately turned around like 100 degrees and started marching back up the street toward the thing. And, and we went back into this photo studio and, and we literally, we both collapsed. I mean, it wasn't like, whoa, it was like, ah, and we fell to the ground and we're laughing and shrieking and we're walking back to the place. And I say, Tomas, do you know who that was? And he says, yes, keep walking. And we get back in and we collapse. And we have, you have to understand, we have been gone three minutes three minutes. So our friends are in the photo studio. Their experiences that we walk outside, they stand there, they worry, they're scared. They don't know what's going on. Three minutes later, we come back, we knock on the door, we fall fall to the ground. And we're like, we just met Daryl Gates. We just walked out the door, met Daryl Gates, came back. And so I tell this story to my friend, uh, Leslie Hope. And she says, so what did you say to him? And I told her, I said, I said, how's it going out there? I said, that's it? That's what you said to him, she says? And then she says, it's a good thing we didn't send you back in time to kill Hitler.
1: In November 1991, a jury recommended a Korean store owner, who had shot an unarmed black girl, get 16 years in jail. The judge reduced it to probation, community service, and a $500 fine. So when the King verdict came down, many African-Americans also vented their rage at Korean-owned businesses. Chilling video captures when a few Koreans fought back in front of their store.
2: Moments later, the Korean merchants and store owners who own that shopping complex, they, they were talking to me for a moment. They said they were fed up. They walked away. Next thing I knew, they walked out of their stores. Three of them were holding guns, and they just started firing at everybody and anybody.
1: but there was also a more organized protection effort. Sonny Kang was part of it. He's a Korean American from Koreatown. He was in his college dorm room in San Diego when he turned on his TV and saw his hometown, where his friends and family lived, in chaos.
5: When I heard that Koreans specifically were being targeted, I'd called my friend Tim Lee. His parents owned a dry cleaning business in South Central. And so when I called him and asked him, you know, is everything okay? And he was like, no, they got us. They got everything was everything. I asked him, I said, "Is there anything I can do to help you know clean up or anything and he says, there's nothing to clean up it's just ashes. but if you do want to do something, Radio Korea announced that any able bodied young Korean males are willing to come and defend and protect the community, we need volunteers so I said i 'm leaving right now and when we got to l a my a lot of my friends had guns we uh, went together to the hotel where all the Korean volunteers were assembling and in the lobby there were mostly gang members and uh, I vividly remember everybody running around loading up shotguns on the first day we I believe we were patrolling Koreatown and just driving around trying to make sure that businesses would be safe and uh, we would go to to help out in any way that we could. I won't go into detail about that, but I will say that um, our specific job was to make sure we're protected and businesses if, if we could do that as well. I obviously was very upset about the fact that Korean businesses were being targeted. So I, I had hatred for Blacks, Latinos. I had hatred for the police. And eventually I even had, had hatred for Koreans. When the report went out that we needed Koreans, on the first night, there was only like less than 40 of us. But then over time, I realized that, you know, I, I made a lot of mistakes too.
1: From the Moan Broadcast Center, this is Off Ramp, a special edition of our show dedicated to commemorating the 25th anniversary of the L.A. riots.
5: David Cunningham. I've been living in Los Angeles since the 70s. I was an attorney. I'm currently a judge. But I had been working on the city redistricting plan with Connie Rice from the Legal Defense Fund. We're scheduling a meeting at the Legal Defense Fund to talk about L.A. redistricting. And I got off of the elevator and Connie walked in and she said, the city's on fire. And I remember it clearly. It was frightening. It was a sense of being in a militarized zone. I remember thinking as I saw all the plumes of fire, this must be what it's like to be in a city that's at war. And I felt this can never happen again to our city. We can never let this happen.
1: This is Off Ramp. We've got to give the last word today to Rodney King. He was beaten by the LAPD in March of 1991. All the officers were acquitted in 1992. 25 years ago this weekend and in 2012 he wrote a book about his experience called The Riot Within My Journey from Rebellion to Redemption He talked about it with KPCC's Pat Morrison at the LA Times Festival of Books
5: When you watch that video that George Halliday shot is it hard to watch? Uh,
2: It used to be very hard to watch It used to be very hard to watch but now it's like I look at it with a smile because I made it alive through it you know and I shouldn't have made it through that beating, you know, and I know that Uh, I should have probably been dead that night.
5: You write about forgiveness for the officers, and a lot of people would say, how can you forgive them?
2: It's just the way I was raised. I can't help that. I'm sorry, but it's just in my blood, and that's just, that's what a human should, should be able to, be in a position to forgive somebody. I mean, if it's not, I mean, God has forgiven many people on this earth. Not only that, but people have forgiven me over the years, and I'm not pleased with some things that I have went through in my life, but people have forgiven me for it, and and so how, why wouldn't I forgive them? I I, have to, I would have to forgive them because I wouldn't want to go to bed with all that anger and every day and ulcers and just not being mad about something that you have no control over. So what you what I had to do is make it better, you know, and be humble, and that's that's just the godly way. That's the god, you know. I wake up to breathe air and look at the sun and the moon every night. I mean I gotta forgive this man he's the same type of person I am he's just a man he ain't nothing but a man so I have to forgive him you know what I mean yeah. he makes mistakes
5: when the rioting was underway and you made your famous statement about can't we all get along what were you thinking as you were watching what was happening in LA all around you
2: uh, I was thinking about all the, the our history I, I'm, I'm tired of seeing uh, the history of our country you know and, and when I look back and In my mind, and play the picture back, all the work that has been done, for our civil rights, and all the marching with all the different nationality of people marching for a good cause. It's no need of spoiling all the work that we've done in this country together so far by me coming out saying anything different other than can we all get along? It's been too much. It's been too much positive and too much work trying to move towards positive living to come out and be negative you're
5: still as you write working on these demons and you've still had some encounters with the police how do they deal with you now when they you know may pull you over you told a funny story about they pull you over and they go oh it's Rodney King
2: yeah they help everybody have their own different way of dealing with me some are just curious to see if it's me and for the most ever since the beating I can I have to speak for myself it's been I, it's been okay it's been okay the way I've been they treat me with respect. Unfortunately, I had to go through that beating to get it, but I pretty much get treated with respect when I'm dealing with the with the police these days um mm-hmm. I got a brother that's kind of out there, you know, and he's homeless guy, yeah, and the cops bring him home they'll come knocking at my window uh-huh. Rodney, will you come out to the car and get him out? We don't feel like taking him in today tonight he's you know he's got an alcoholic problem and and they I mean police don't bring nobody home for you to take him in the house these days. I'd be like, please just take him on to jail. Oh, <laughs> Don't no. bring him here. <laughs> and then, like, Rodney, please. I uh, was like, okay.
1: That's KPCC's Pat Morrison talking with Rodney King in April of 2012 about his book, The Riot Within My Journey from Rebellion to Redemption. There is a sad coda to this, of course, and that is that just two months after Pat and Rodney talked, Rodney drowned at the age of 47. And that's Off-Ramp for another week. Off-Ramp is producer Taylor Orsi and interns Rosalie Atkinson and Jesus Ambrosio. Our special on the 25th anniversary of the L.A. riots included contributions from Matthew Crotty, James Kim, and Jerry Gorin. And that's it for the second and final part of this podcast that aired April 29, 2017, on the 25th anniversary of the L.A. Uprising. Off Ramp, the podcast is a production of KPCC and Elias Studios. Our theme music is by Fesslian Studios. I'm John Raby. Thank you so much for joining us, and I'll catch you next time on the Off Ramp.
5: This program is made possible in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people.